invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, that you can now call him Lord, that he was buried and then raised to life by God for you. Now, the good news is that you're freed. You have been freed from, from the power of sin, freed from death, freed from hell. And if you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, you're going to get an opportunity to do that today. And towards the end of my message, I want to give you an opportunity to, to trust him. I mean, you may have come here for a whole bunch of different reasons today. She, you know, it might be the pretty girl sitting next to you right now, but God may have something completely different in mind for you. Now, for those who know Jesus Christ, this Lord God's spirit, God himself lives inside of you. He's in your life. And as we learned a couple of weeks ago, that spirit is there, uh, ready to empower is the next word, to empower us. Romans eight eleven says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. I mean, if you know, I mean, it can't be clear. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the spirit of God, God himself lives in you and God, he's with you wherever you go. Now, what does that mean? That the same spirit, and you can read this for yourself, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that spirit is in you. Uh, That power is in you, ready to work, ready to give you the faith and the courage to walk through tough times. Uh, ready to, to be there to, 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 endure the, to, to endure the loss, you know, that we sometimes experience in life. Ready to help you live for your God. The third word is the word adopted. Romans eight fifteen to 17 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we're what? We're his heirs. We inherit these things. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. I mean, do you realize, I hope you realize how important God's word is for your life. Even important reminders for the, like these, the truth spoken for us here, that if you've ever felt abandoned, if you've ever felt deserted, if you've ever felt given up on, if you've ever felt alone in your life or like no one cares, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you've never been alone. You've never walked alone. I mean, you were adopted as one of his own children. You're his son. You're his daughter. And because of this, you can go to God. You can have the confidence of knowing that you can go directly to God because of what Jesus has done for us. And in that, you can call him Abba Father. Last week, Steve talked about what it means that we are being transformed, that that God is at work in your life, that he's in the process of of changing you and transforming you. He wants us all to become like Jesus. That's the goal, that we'll bring him glory with our life as we become more and more like Christ, that he wants you to have great faith in your life, that he's transforming us as he wants us to trust him more and more every day. Romans 8, 18 through 28 reminds us that we're going to face tough times. And if you didn't get a chance to hear last week's message, I hope that you'll go to iTunes or go to the website and listen. Because when we face times of pain and suffering, and hear this, we will. I mean, it's not a matter of if. I mean, it's really a matter of when. When we face tough times, we need the words of Romans eight twenty eight. That we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I mean, these words remind us that our God is faithful, that he is never absent, that he doesn't take time off. And no matter how challenging life might become for you, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're never alone. You don't walk alone any longer. Now, one final word that we wrap up with today as we bring this series to an end, it's the word loved. 
You can write that down in your notes. It's the word loved. That you and I, that we are loved by God. And, and I just have to be honest that it's a real challenge um, bringing this series to a close today. I, I feel some responsibility in this, right or wrong, that what was such a great series and a great chapter that I've got to bring it to its appropriate end, that, I, that I've got to make it pop or something. And so I'm just telling you that I'm feeling the frustration of, of putting a, a, a nice cover on this the end of this chapter. And I'll tell you where the, the frustration really comes from. It, it comes from the fact that no matter what I say today, no matter what story I would choose to share, I mean, it is really challenging to try and say anything that will help you fully understand and appreciate the depths of God's love for you. I mean, what could I say that would better help me understand that or grasp that or you grasp that in such a way that it changes everything for us? I mean, and at first glance, it's kind of funny because at first glance, when you think about this word love, it's almost like, well, of all of the words that we've talked about, that seems the simplest. I mean, that seems to be the one that we're most familiar with. We talk about it a lot on Sundays, and chances are when you pick up your kid from Gen Kids that they're going to have been talking about the love of God or something. But that's where the challenge is. I think we're all used to hearing a message like that. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, or you come to church and you hear about the love of God and... And if you've been coming for a while or you've been around church for a long time, or maybe if you're really new to this, I I guess the question that I just have today is how is it that we could hear this message about the love of God like it was the first time and like we had never heard it before in our lives, but, but the power of the message, the reality of what God has done and made available to us, that it was so real and so life changing that, well, that everything changed. I mean, our perspective, our present realities, our hope for the future. I mean, the pain and the frustrations that we may face, that we, that we would have this confidence in us that we have received, that we can grasp onto this message that really has the power to change everything like never before. I mean, how, how do you explain the love of God in such a way that it can take on that significance? Well, I, I was thinking that one angle I could take today would be to define some words for you. And, and definitions are appropriate. I mean, those could work. I mean, we take words for granted. And because we take them for granted, I mean, you know, or use them casually, words can, can lose their meaning. They can lose their significance. I mean, the same is true of the word loved. I mean, we've polluted that word. I mean, the definition of that word has changed, you know, because of our everyday conversation. I mean, think about how you use the word love every day. You'll say, I love Diet Coke. That's the greatest thing in the world. Or I love Fridays or... I love the Colts, last year especially. You know, I mean, they're they're my favorite team. My little girl say, I love Cinderella Daddy or I love Mickey Mouse. I mean, how do you take a word, a a word like love, a word that's used to describe just about the way that we feel about everything good and we say, oh yeah, that's how God feels about you too. I mean, you love the Nachos Bel Grande from Taco Bell. Well, guess what? Jesus loves you too. What a coincidence. I mean, you know, the way that you feel about, hey, that's the way that that God feels. I mean, we've got one word. We've got one word love, but that's not the case with Paul. I mean, that's not the dilemma that he faces because when he wrote Romans, he had the privilege of choosing from one of several different words for love. I mean, there there were several different words for for love in the Greek language. One that he could have chose is the Greek word eros. It's where we get our word erotic. It's a physical kind of love, but he didn't choose that word. He could have chosen the word phileo. Uh, it, It was the most commonly used word for love. It's where we get our word Philadelphia. It's a love that describes how you might feel towards a really close friend or family members. 
But he didn't choose that one. There's one more word for love. It's the highest of all words. It's the one that Paul chose. And it wasn't used lightly. It wasn't thrown around casually in conversations. It's the Greek word agape. Maybe you've heard that word before. That This is the word that Paul chose to describe God's love for us. It's a committed love. It's not based on what we do. It's a selfless love. It's a love that doesn't ask for anything in return. It loves even when it's not loved back. This word agape describes God's love for us. It's his unchanging, undeserved, unqualified love that our God is, according to Paul, loves with an agape love. And so maybe a definition helps. I, I don't... I don't know if that has the power to do it for you or to change anything for you today. Maybe, probably not. Well, let's try another. Another way to see and to understand God's love is through stories. And when you think about it, that's what Jesus did. He told stories all throughout his life to better help people understand what it means to be loved by God. And so in the New Testament, one of my favorites is there's the story of the father, right? Jesus told the story about a father who had two sons. And one day the son went to his father and he said, hey, can I have my share of inheritance? Basically, what he's saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. I mean, your inheritance is more important to me than your life. Can, can I have it? And so as Jesus told the story, the father gave him his share of the inheritance. And the son took off. And he went off to a distant place. And he blew all the money that he had. And it got so bad that he was willing to take a job working with pigs. Now, for a Jewish man, this is the lowest of low. And then it got worse because he was broke and because he was hungry. He was even willing to eat what the pigs were eating. And then I love how Jesus said it, and you can read it for yourself in the scriptures, that one day the young man came to his senses. I mean, he realized, here I am, I've got pig poo all over me, you know. My father has all of these servants, you know, these paid men and women who have a much better life than I do. Here's what I'll do. I'll go home, I'll seek his forgiveness, and all I'm going to ask is that he'll just let me live out back and be like one of his slaves living on the farm. And, and so one day he heads towards home, and The scriptures say that when he was far off, the father was there. The father was standing on the porch. He was waiting for him. He was looking for him. And the father didn't wait for the son to come all the way to the house. But the scriptures say that the father ran to him and greeted him and hugged him and threw a party for him and restored him to his place of sonship in that family. And Jesus told that story of saying, hey, that's my dad. That's just what he's like. He loves us in that way. And it's not just in the New Testament, it's in the Old Testament too. Uh, There was a prophet named Hosea. And as a way of demonstrating the extent of his love, God chose Hosea and he went to him one day and said, Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to town. I want you to go to the worst part of town and I want you to buy a prostitute and I want you to take her as your wife. Her name's Gomer. And so, I mean, this was a lot to ask of this man. One, to buy a prostitute as his wife and a woman named Gomer. All right, I mean, that's a little rough, a little over top for this guy, but he does it. And he buys her and he takes her home as his wife. And, and believe it or not, they fall in love. I mean, not only is he obeying God, but in some way, shape or form, this marriage is actually working. Until one day, Hosea returns home to find that Gomer is no longer there and the kids are there by themselves. And he races back to town to the red light district. And there she is, arm to arm with another man, you know, maybe heading into a cheap hotel or something. And Hosea cries out to God. Hey, this is what I was talking about. I mean, why did you ask me to do something? I mean, look at this mess that I'm in now. What am I supposed to do? And God replied, here's what you're going to do, Hosea. You go and you buy her again, 
and you take her home and you love her the way that she needs to be loved. And I, I like the words for themselves in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. I mean, why? Why did God tell this story? Why did God use Hosea and call him to such great things? Notice those next words. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. I'll just stop there. Let me ask you a question. Have you been selling yourself to anything else but God? And maybe you're here today and... And maybe you're realizing that for yourself, maybe with some, some greater work, you know, some time alone, some time with just yourself. I think chances are that you and I both would realize that over and over again, we're guilty of selling ourselves to anything else but God. And we might do that with a relationship. Uh, we might do that with a job. Uh, we might do that for money. But that even though we know who our Father is, we'll give ourselves over to other things. We'll make something else the first affection of our life. And I just want you to see today that if that's where you are and maybe realizing where you've been or even where you are right now, that there is a God and He loves you. And He is the God of this story. He's the Father who's waiting for you to come back. And if maybe God is going to use this time this morning to help you come to your senses with where you are right now, I want you to know that you're going to find a father who will take you back. He'll welcome you back. And if you feel in any way like this sort of prostitute that you've been giving yourself to anything else but God, again, he's like Jose in the story here that he's willing to take you back and love you the way that you need to be loved. It's just how our God loves. You know, why are these stories in the Bible, stories like the prodigal son and Hosea and Gomer? They're stories of God's love for us. And so definitions can be helpful. Maybe stories can help. But, but there's a challenge even in these stories. And you know what I think some of the challenges? We've heard the stories too many times before. That because we've heard them, because they've become familiar to us, we almost forget the significance of what they mean. And so what do we do? How do we try and get our minds around God's love? I mean, how do you best hear a message like this, this message of the Apostle Paul here, and be able to, to treat it like it's the first time you've ever heard it? And the power of it is still the same in your life. I mean, I was wondering, is there an email I could forward to you or a song we could sing or a Kirk Cameron movie we could watch or something? You know, I mean, why does this message of God's love, why do we make it so complicated? I mean, why is it so difficult to embrace the truth of it? I think part of the reason is that when it comes to examining God's love, definitions can work and stories can be helpful, but love in its purest form just is. His love just is. And how do you explain something like that? I mean, make no mistake about it. God doesn't love you right now because you're here when you could be out playing golf. Because he knows that you can go after the service. But, you know, he doesn't love you because you're here today. He, he doesn't love you because you put some money in the offering bag a few minutes ago. That's not why he loves you. He doesn't love you because of the way that you dress or the way that you talk. He doesn't love you because you can sing or because you're leading your team in scoring right now. He doesn't love you because you're successful or because you got a promotion. That's not why God loves you. He doesn't love because he just loves. He doesn't love because he just loves. And how do you explain a love like that? I mean, how do you explain a love like that if you're here and that's not the message you're used to hearing? And maybe because of a church that you've attended in the past or maybe some people around you in your life, I understand that there may be some of you here today and you want little to nothing to do with God right now. 
I get the fact that some of you might be deeply wounded because of a hypocritical Christian friend in your past. But I just want you to know this, that that's not God. I mean, we are imperfect people. I'm an imperfect person. You put all of your faith and all of your trust in me, chances are I will let you down at some point in your life and in mine. But that's not God. Our God is perfect. His love is unending. And that's not what he's about. You know, when we are loved the way that he loves us and we realize that it really has the power to change everything. And I just don't think we always get it. Because if we did, we'd show it. I mean, if we really understood the power of God's love, you know, not just for the world, but for me, that has the power to change everything. So that when you're going through tough financial times or you've got a health crisis before you or you've got this family conflict or circumstance that no matter what, at the end of the day, you'd always be able to go back to this truth that I am loved by God and nothing, no one can ever take that away from me. And if we understood that message, then we truly would have a peace that passes all understanding. And so when the stock market plunges or your dad's you know, health takes a, a, a dive or your job is lost, that at the end of the day, the one thing that we could always go back to that would always keep us afloat is that I am loved and no one can take that away from me. And we wouldn't harbor bitterness and we'd be forgiving people and we'd be gracious and we'd love in the way that he loves because the only thing that matters is that you you're loved by God and nothing could ever change that. And so how do you explain a love like that? I mean, what do we need to do? Well, where do we turn? Well, when we get to this last bit of Romans chapter eight, I sort of feel like that's the challenge that the apostle Paul is facing. Like, okay, I've just shared the good news with you. Now, how do I bring this to an end? Like, how do I not let you down with the power and the significance of what we've just talked about. And so as we read this last section here written by Paul, I want you to take note that it sounds a little different than others. And there are exclamation points and run-ons and questions, but Paul is trying to clearly communicate the love of God for us. And he knows that if we could just get it, that it really does have the power to change your life and to change it forever. And so let's look at these last few verses and then we're going to close. Romans 8, verse 31, he writes, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Meaning, how do I bring this to an end? And I love this statement. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, what, what, what's a statement like that do for you? I mean, change the pronoun. If God is for me, then who can be against me? I don't know about you, but I'm guilty all the time of coming up with lists of people and things, you know, that come up against me that scare the living daylights out of me. But if God is for you, who can be against you? I mean, that's important to remember. You know, when you wake up tomorrow morning and the kids are already fighting before you even get out of bed, all right? And you've got a long day ahead of you and you've got that big meeting coming up and then you've got kids that need to be somewhere, you know, tomorrow night that God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Or if your health has been bad for so long, like to the point that you don't even remember what it felt like to be well, of embracing the truth that if God is for me, who could be against me? I mean, I don't know what would go on your list. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your fears or your anxiety. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's the number of times that you have failed over and over in your life. God is for you. He's on your side. And if you've got that with God, then who can possibly come up against you? Verse 32, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? I mean, to think that God would not spare even his own son 
for us. Now, this is an interesting phrase, especially to a Jew who is familiar with the Old Testament. Now, why? Well, because the wording that Paul uses here is the same wording that we find in the Old Testament to describe what Abraham was willing to do with his son, Isaac. I mean, do you remember the story? Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac until God intervened at the last moment and his life was spared. And in Genesis twenty-two sixteen, it says something like, Abraham, you did not spare even your own son for me. I mean, the wording's the same. And again, any Jew who read this that was familiar with the Old Testament would have gone, I know what he's talking about. That Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son, which is crazy. But that God was willing to do that with Jesus. That he was willing to sacrifice his own son for you and for me. That we could have life. I mean, could there be anything more valuable than a son? You know, Jesus. Um, You know, don't look now, but uh, it's hard to believe that Thanksgiving and Christmas are right around the corner. And they're going to be here before you know it. And, uh, you know, Christmas, obviously, we celebrate here means the uh, birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But it also means white elephant gift exchanges, all right? And not to minimize the other. The other, obviously, is much more important. But you've probably got a white elephant gift exchange that's going to be coming up. And so I just want to alert you now that this is a great time to be preparing for that gift in your house that you can give someone else. I mean, you've probably got something growing in the refrigerator that you can preserve and hold on to for another month or so and give that thing away. That could be a very very valuable item. Well, I remember uh, back one of my most memorable white elephant gift exchanges was that a buddy of mine, I ended up with a box of items from his basement that he didn't want any longer. When I opened it up, it was a disassembled, completely disassembled cuckoo clock. And so there were all of the gears, all of the mechanisms, the chains, the weights, the actual house, everything just in this box here. It's yours. You get to decide what to do with it now. Well, I held on to it for a couple of days and then I got an idea. I laid it out on a table and I took a picture of it and I put it up on eBay. And wouldn't you know that within a couple of days, somebody bought it for $80 off of eBay. All right. Now, my friend had no idea the value of what he had in his basement. I didn't realize it either until I put it on eBay and I was $80 richer. Now, for all I know, there may be some guy on the East Coast telling the same story. They say, I bought it for $80 and it's worth thousands. You know, I mean, he maybe is the one that actually is getting the last laugh, but... When God gave us Jesus, he knew what it was worth. He knew the cost. He knew the price. And he was willing to give up his own son for you and me. You know, here's one thing that I think is fascinating. When God gave Jesus, he forever determined your worth. Do you get that? That he forever determined my value in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. He was saying, hey, this is how much you mean to me. And in Romans 8:33 he says who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own no one for God himself has given us right standing <coughs> with himself you know Satan will spend the rest of your life accusing you He's going to spend the rest of your life creating rumors and challenges and conflict and whispering lies into your life. He'll do that. But God is the only one who has the right to bring charges against you and me. He's the only one. In verse 34 Paul says who then will condemn us If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, no one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. I mean, who can condemn? God. He's the only one that has the right to do that. 
You know, someone has to pay the price for sin, but that's where Jesus comes in. It was Jesus who died. He sits at the right hand of God today. You know, Paul points out four things that are so powerful in this verse 34 here. He said that this is what Jesus does for us. He died. He rose. He is sitting at the right hand of God today. And I like this last part. He is pleading for us. He is interceding on our behalf. He is representing us to God, speaking on our behalf and in our defense. And in verse 35, Paul writes, Can anything, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Again, Paul's just acknowledging here of, hey, I know that life isn't always the easiest. And I think this is his story. I think he was saying, hey, I've been through all of these things. And when I got to the other end of them, I still discovered that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And I know that tough times may be upon you 2,000 years ago to his listeners then and even today, but nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. And finally, verse 37. He says, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I like how he opens this here when he says, overwhelming victory is ours. And not just what the Wisconsin Badgers did to the IU Hoosiers yesterday in football, but he says, overwhelming victory is ours. He says, I am convinced that nothing could ever change my mind on this. That when it comes to God's love, I realize that there is nothing that can separate me from God's love. The loss of life can't separate me from God's love. Life can't. You know, death can't. You know, angels or demons, fears and worries, the powers of hell, you know, on this earth, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul says, I'm convinced. And he wants you to be convinced. He desperately wants us to see how great God's love. He knows that this love has the power to change everything. You know, and and the reality is that many of you have heard this message before. That God loves you, that that, that he is for you. but, But do you understand it? I mean, are you understanding it right now in your own present circumstances, in your own situation, that he loves you, that he is for you, and that nothing can come up against you as long as you lean on that love? I mean, are you convinced of this? You've heard it all for yourself, but do you own it? I mean, does God want to use this time and this message today, you know, that that he, as the creator of the universe, that he loves you, that he is for you, that you are his chosen one, that you are freed from the penalty of the sin of death, that you have been adopted by God, loved by God, and that changes everything. I want to close with this last verse. Our band's going to come out on stage, you know, uh, Romans 8, 37 again. And if you're filling in blanks, you can fill in this last one here. He says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I want you to notice that word loved for a second, because it's kind of interesting as you think about it a little bit. You know, most of the time when you read about God's love in scripture, it's always referred to in the present tense. 
It's his ongoing, powerful, never-ending love. But, but this is not love E-S. Notice that it's love E-D. Uh, it's a, a past tense participle, which means that it's not just past tense, but it's past tense in that it's referring to a specific event in history. I mean, this word love points to one thing for us. It points to the one thing where God's love was demonstrated once and for all for you. And you're smart people. It's the cross. I mean, Paul says, you know what? When it comes down to it, there are no words that can explain the cross of Jesus Christ, where our God's love was proven for us once and for all. Let's pray. You know, as we pray, um, I just want to ask you this question. What, what does the cross mean to you today? The place where Jesus died, where he paid the price for sin. You know, as you reflect for just a moment, I want to challenge you in one thing. I, I know it's real easy when we think of the love of God and the cross of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins to think about it for all of the earth, for all people, and maybe even all people sitting in this room today. And that is true. But I want you to be selfish and take it for yourself right now. And whether you know him as Savior or don't know him as Savior, I I want you to take this message for yourself, that he paid the price of your sin, that he died in your place so that you could be forgiven. And his death on the cross is the greatest evidence of his love for you. And you can know that and claim that and embrace that today, that you are loved by him. God, I pray that this message of the cross of Romans 8 would never grow old for us. I pray that we wouldn't get used to it, but that you would use the power of this message in such a way that we would never, ever forget about what that love has done for us. You know, as we pray, you know, maybe you're here today and you know that you've overlooked that message. You've been around church for a long time. And maybe God has been using this series or your connection group or even this message today to remind you of the awesome power of his love. It's a love that changes everything. If God's been working on you, maybe just slip your hand up in the air as a way of affirming that right now. I'm receiving this message like it's the first time once again. I need it for my own. Thank you for that hand. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for those right now who are offering themselves up to you and want to hear this message again like it was the first time. I pray that it wouldn't grow old, that it would have the same power that we would realize and understand forgiveness and the life that we've been invited to. You know, as we keep praying, you know, maybe you're here and, and the one thing that's working on your heart is you recognize that you've been on the run. I mean, you're like the son in the story. You're like the prostitute in the story. You've given yourself to anything and everything but God. But you know where home is. And you just don't know how to go back. I'm, I'm praying that as you come to your senses that you would see a father who is waiting on the porch for you ready to run to you to welcome you back Uh, that you would see a a God who is willing to take you back no matter where you've turned no matter who you've given your life to that he still loves you and that love has never come to an end for you if you're you're realizing your need for forgiveness being able to come back home today. Maybe just slip your hand up right now as a way of affirming that, that I need to return to that place. I need God's love in my life. I want to experience that forgiveness. If that's you, let me pray for you. God, I pray for those who have been running, 
that have maybe turned their back on you. God, I pray that you would hear their prayers today as they are ready to come back to you. That they would see uh, the work that sin has done in their life, but they would also see more powerfully than that forgiveness and how you can change them and how you can free them. That they can experience it like they did that very first time. And finally, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, maybe you're here and you realize that you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And maybe you came today for any reason but that one. But you sense your need for God, that you can't do this on your own, and maybe He's drawing you to Himself today. Why would you wait? Why wouldn't you receive this this free love that He is offering to you? If you're ready to call Him Savior and you've never done that before, maybe just slip your hand up right now as a way of saying, I need Jesus Christ in my life. I need that love. I want to be freed from sin forever. You can pray this prayer with me. God in heaven, I thank you for Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. And call me your child today. God, we thank you for your work and uh, your work and your love for us that never comes to an end. And I pray that it wouldn't end in this room right now, that it changes everything for us. In Jesus' name, amen.